Well, we're gonna study God's word in Ruth, and I'm gonna pick it, off, pick it up where we left it off of two weeks ago. And if you remember, and, and I'm sure that everybody remembers every word that I say. I don't even remember every word I say. That's why it's written on paper to remember. Now, Naomi told Ruth that what we consider today to be kind of unusual, maybe a little weird, Ruth 3, 3 says, Naomi telling Ruth, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let them know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Kind of unique to our situation today but not for them. So she agreed to do it in Ruth 3, 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And there's all kinds of sermons right right there on mother-in-laws, but I'm not gonna go there. (laughs) Now when she was going, she probably had no idea what was gonna happen. She, She wasn't Jewish, obviously, she was Moabite, and she didn't quite understand the customs but she went anyways. So she's going and she gets to Boaz's feet. Now what would you be thinking while doing this? Man, did I, did I misread him? Maybe, maybe I made up my mind he's paying attention to me. Did I misread him? Did I, does he even like me at all? And this is just, this has gotta be one huge mistake. What am I going to lay at his feet for? And a thousand other reasons to doubt why she was doing it. And I thought about that. You ever feel the tug of the Holy Spirit in your lives to step out for something? Something that you thought was really weird. (laughs) Unusual, unattainable. And then you step back and you think, did I misread God? Am I kind of making this up on my own? Is this really God leading us? Now remember last week we also talked about Ruth being told to change her clothes. And what she was probably still wearing, the clothes that she was wearing because she was a widow, her mourning outfit. It was time for Ruth to put her past behind her and move on. Now this isn't to suggest that we don't experience a time of mourning and loss because we do. But when she was going into Boaz, and remember we said that Boaz was a type of Christ, she was, we also go to Christ and have Christ replace our past with what God can do for us in the future. She was getting rid of her past, she was getting rid of her mourning clothes and asking God to do something new in her for the future. We have to take the mourning and the loss that we have to Christ and allow him to redress us. God will take off the weighty clothes of mourning, the unforgiveness and the anger and the fear and the pain and the hurt. And the Bible says he will replace them with a garment of praise, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, in verse two, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. She was a widow, still gleaning in the fields. I'm sure carrying a lot of baggage with her. Again, we talked about being called a Moabitess. 
All of that she was changing and allowing God to give her now a spirit of praise. When we come to Christ, we leave all those things behind us as well. The unforgiveness, the anger, the fear, the pain, all the things that we carry before we come to know Christ. And even after we come to know Christ, we experience those things. And the Bible says we keep going to Christ and he keeps taking them from us and clothing us with a garment of praise. You ever feel like walking in to church not wanting to praise? Been a bad week, bad month. I just don't feel like praising God. But what happens is when you come in and you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, you now begin to want to praise. And God takes that away from you. That's why it's so important that we spend time in worship and spend time together in worship because during those times, God takes those things from us because we all, I think everyone can say when you leave a church service, you feel different because God is, whatever has been going on the week, God's taken that away, at least for a time, and replaced it with his joy, his spirit of praise, and you leave excited about what God's gonna do. So Ruth goes in and does exactly as Naomi told her. In verse seven, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. Now that doesn't mean he was drunk, it just means he had a little bit to drink. He went to lie down to the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. How many of you like the Peanuts cartoon? Snoopy? Snoopy's my favorite out of the Peanuts cartoon. And there's a, a, a graphic or a, a, a cartoon that reoccurs in the Peanuts, and it's Snoopy saying, life is full of rude awakenings. And if you've seen the cartoon, there's various images of him all just disheveled, and life is full of rude awakenings. The Bible also has a few rude awakenings. Adam fell asleep and woke up to find himself married to a woman who didn't even exist before he was sleeping. Jacob woke up and found himself married to the wrong woman. I don't get that. I really don't understand how that happened. They spent the wedding night together and he doesn't notice until the next morning. I, I think... I hope you would notice that kind of stuff. Kyle? (laughs) So Boaz wakes up and finds a lady laying at his feet. God is not without sense of humor. He goes to sleep feeling good and he wakes up with a lady at his feet. It doesn't tell us how much time elapsed between the time he fell asleep and the time he woke up, but it says he woke up in the middle of the night. So we can assume that a few hours have passed from the time she laid down to the time he woke up. So if you're Ruth and you're laying at this guy's feet, what are you thinking? I'm probably thinking you're not sleeping. This is crazy. This is crazy. What if he doesn't wake up? What if he wakes up and I scare him and he thinks I'm an animal and he kills me? (laughs) Or maybe he wakes up and tells me to get lost. You ever have those type of thoughts while following what God tells you to do? Maybe not the killing part, 
But what I'm, this is crazy. This is really, I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't going to work out. What if I misread God? Sometimes living for God requires us to wait on what God's going to do. So she's laying there for hours. We assume nothing's happening. You ever start something for God and you just wait? It seems like forever and nothing really happens. Now she could have left and you know, said, oh, this is too long. He's not waking up. I'm leaving. But she stayed. And a lot of us sometimes feel like quitting when we don't see God working at this particular moment. But that calls us to what? Live by faith. And what does the Bible describe faith as? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If we saw everything right away that God was going to do, it wouldn't require any faith because it's there. It's the stepping out into the raging river to make it part first that requires faith. So she's laying there and she's operating in faith because up to this point she hadn't seen anything happen yet. But she's still trusting in what Naomi said that God was going to do. Verse 9, who are you, he asked. Now, this verse suggests that he knew it was a woman. The word, who are you, the word you is a feminine, so he knew it was a woman. But he didn't recognize who it was. He just saw a silhouette, so he knew it was a girl. Verse 9 says, I'm your servant Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Notice what the change in Ruth now. She's no longer a Moabitess. She's a servant. She's beginning to make a new start. She's leaving her Moabite history behind her. Things that she can't change, she's now leaving. And now she's becoming what God wants her to be. And I wrote down here, how you refer to yourself helps to shape who you will become. If you say you're a loser, you probably will be. If you say you're a winner, you probably will be. But the most important thing is we need to know what God calls us. What does God call you? Well, the Bible says we are his loved children. Think about that. Think about your kids when they're little. Maybe not when they're teenagers, but when they're little and they still like you. How much do you love them? And everything they do is cute. Everything they do is adorable. Every little wisecrack that they make is adorable. Now when they're teenagers, those same wisecracks, not so much. But at that point, your little kids you just love everything you do. And I think that's how God chose, sees us. Not that the sins we make doesn't you know, upset God, but he sees us as his loved children and he loves us and he wants to correct us. Just like a three-year-old is doing something wrong. You don't go whooping them. You tell them what's wrong, and you tell them what's right. So this whole garment thing, this spread the cover over someone, means actually means something in the Bible. It means you're claiming that person for yourself. Ezekiel 16, 8, talking about Israel, God says, Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord and you became 
mine. And Elijah, when he was claiming Elisha to be his replacement, 1 Kings 19, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So the covering of the garment meant claiming someone for yourself. And the term garment is actually the word for, is the term for the word wing, as in Psalm 91.4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge, same, same word. So when he, when he was throwing the garment over her, Boaz was now claiming her for himself. Now, when she said that, notice how she said, she said, you are a redeemer, not my redeemer, because she knew that there was somebody else. She couldn't lie about it. He was a redeemer. Now, she could have said, hey, you're my redeemer, but he'd have found out later that, no, there's somebody else. So she made it a point to, to specify, you are one of them, and I want you to be mine. She wasn't claiming him, he was claiming her. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz takes note of how how her character is, her kindness to people. Remember his desire, he knew of his desire, or her desire to help Naomi. He knew what that meant. He knew that she was gleaning for her and he was taking care of her. Her character showed in her lifestyle, her work ethic, things that she did. Just from meeting her in the dark, he didn't know her character, but he knew her character up to that point. He saw her before this happened. We used to pray, and it's probably still a good prayer, that that says, before you talk to your neighbors about God, talk to God about your neighbors. And part of that means that you have to earn the right to talk to them. In other words, what's your character like? Are you able to speak into them? Does your character go before you? When people see you, what do they say about you? If they meet you cold off the street, what do they say? She already had her character and work ethic and lifestyle already in front of Boaz before this even happened. Before we talk to someone, we need to make sure that our lifestyle is matching up to what we're going to tell them. Because if we tell them something that we don't do, or we behave differently than what we're saying, then they're going to rightly call us hypocrites. We need to be able to have the lifestyle and the work ethic and the things that we do, the character, who we are, so that when we're talking to them, we're not telling them something that they need to be, we're telling them how God made us to be. He is saying that her desire to have him as a redeemer was even kinder than that which she exhibited in her care for Naomi. In other words, since she really wants to be his partner, that's showing him kindness. It obviously appears that he's a lot older than her, and, but it wasn't his, the age difference. It was the treatment that he had given to her that caused her to want to know him. We see a mutual showing of kindness and character by both Ruth and Boaz. Her character and kindness made Boaz take note of her, and his character and kindness caused Ruth to want him regardless of age over the younger men, whether they were rich or poor. 
She was choosing Boaz over what the world would have considered a, quote, better catch. The term for the word young men is actually choice ones. And that could apply to either people that could be redeemers or men of means, men who had a lot of money. When we come to Christ, we do so because of the nature and character of Christ and the love of God. I've never seen anyone browbeaten into the kingdom. But they come because they see what God does in you. They see the love that's in your life because they don't see Jesus. They see you. They see me. What's the Bible? It doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say it, but the only Jesus they may see is you. The only Bible they're going to read is you. And so when they look at you and they see you in your character, do they want what you have? Ruth wanted Boaz because of how he treated her, not because of what he gave her. If we come to Christ because of what we think God's going to give us, then we're coming for the things and not for the love of God. When we follow Christ, the world may think we are missing out on a better catch than knowing Jesus. But as Ruth finds out, Boaz and Jesus are the better catch. Ruth was passing on what the world would think is better to go with what God was providing her. A lot of times we are called to pass on what the world says is better for us in order to allow God to provide something better for us. And now he pronounces a blessing on her in verse 11. He says, now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it's true I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than me. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So it appears on Boaz's part that this is a proposal of marriage from Ruth. She's saying, I'm here. Cover me. I want to be your wife. So he knows that. He, okay, I wanna, she wants to get married. That's good. I want to marry her. But I got to go through what I need to go through to make that happen. Uncovering, using the, the garment of covering, Ruth was asking Boaz if he would cover her with his blanket, which meant taking her for himself. And by him doing it, he agrees with her proposal. Now, it appears that Boaz was also doing homework on Ruth. He already knew that there was another redeemer. So I'm thinking, he's probably thinking about this before Ruth started thinking about it. He's getting to know the information. How do I woo her? How do I get her? How do I get to marry her? And he does his homework and finds out there's somebody else. Why would he know that if he didn't really care about her and didn't really want her to be his wife? So even before Ruth came to him, he was doing what was necessary to make the way. Does that sound familiar? God is the one who does the drawing. God does his homework on us. God is the one who initiates it. He sets up the things that we desire in order that we come to know him. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. This is our verse. Not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
God is doing the work to draw each one. All these folks we're praying for, God's already doing the work. He's already working in their lives. And the more we pray, the more God's going to work. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did the work beforehand. Now it's up to us. John 6, 43, Jesus answered, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God drew each one of us. God drew you. I've said before, if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. God's drawing you. That, that inner voice that's saying something about knowing God is because God placed it there. Boaz was doing the work. He was doing all the groundwork necessary. He was treating her nicely. He let her eat at the table. He let her glean extra fields. God was setting it up. Boaz was following through. He was prepared for when she came. God is ready for us when we come. But let's like Ruth had to go in by faith and lay at his feet, not knowing what was going to happen. He did, she didn't know he was setting this up. And she goes in and lays down and trusts God to do the rest. When we come to Christ, we have no idea what God has in store for us. We just come by faith. I mean, now we get it. But when we were, before we knew Christ, we didn't understand. All we knew is, well, someone told us we come to Christ by faith. And so we're going to do that. And God's going to meet you at that point. I wrote down here, Boaz did all he could, but Ruth had to make the choice. God does all he can do. He draws you. He sacrificed himself for you. He wants no one to come to, uh, everyone to come to repentance, no one to perish. He's done all he can do. Now the choice is up to us. And the choice is up to those we're praying for. Verse 14, so she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Why? Because Boaz cared about her reputation. All it takes is one thing to have her character ruined. So she left while it was still dark and no one saw her. And even though this was an innocent event, one wrong impression or one gossip could ruin her character, who she was. And boy, doesn't that apply to us today. <laughs> There's an anonymous quote that says, a reputation that takes years to build, but only a moment to destroy. Christians need to be careful where we find ourselves. Things we intend to do and do appear to be innocent, but maybe our actions give others the wrong impression. And the enemy ammunition against us and against the Lord. Be careful what we do. The Bible says we are ambassadors. That means 24-7 we're on display for the world to see. And it only takes one minute or one event to ruin a lifetime of testimony because that's what they're going to focus on. So we need to be careful. The Bible says avoid appearances of evil. Don't let it be said that we do things or behave in a certain way that is unchristlike because that's what people are going to notice. Boaz was making sure that nobody got a wrong impression from her, even though what she did was totally innocent. Verse 15 says, He also said, Bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then 
he went back to town. Now the Bible never really tells us or explains why this is. There are several opinions about what, why this meant. And I'm gonna read those to you. They're merely guesses and we can't lay much stock in them but these are all examples of what that actually meant. The first one is it was a broad gift for Naomi. Boaz was sending back this huge amount of grain as a broad gift to Naomi for allowing him to marry Ruth. The second thing, it could be a recognition intended for Naomi thanking her for setting him up. Here's some, here's some grain. Thanks for doing all this for us. The third example could be Ruth could be seen carrying grain, so if she's caught, it just looks like she's gleaning. She has a reason to be there. And the other example that I've read different commentaries say simply a, simply a gift from a man to a woman whom he hoped to marry. And the last one, Boaz didn't want his prospective bride to be in the field like a poor laborer. She's now walking home as the wife of the owner. And doesn't, doesn't tell us how much it is, but the grain she went home with was well enough grain for over two weeks. Most commentators agree on that. So she wouldn't have to glean for a while. So that may, may lean more credence to the last one, that now she's his fiance. I don't want you out gleaning like all the other laborers in the field. You're part of my family now. I want you to be treated as such. Verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. Now, it sounds like a good question, but it's not actually a good translation of that verse. The phrase, how did it go, is actually, and can be more better written as, who are you? And some of the translations have, who are you? Now, the jury's out on the correct meaning of that verse, but it, it, is, it implies more of what is your stature in life right now as opposed to, hey, how did it go? She implies to Ruth, are you still Ruth the Moabitess or are you Mrs. Boaz? That's the question she's asking her. You're coming back from this night, are you engaged or are you not engaged? Another way to say it would be, are you still Malon's widow or are you Boaz's bride? Are you living in the past or are you focusing on your future? Ruth experienced a lot of hardship. She lost her father-in-law, her husband. She left her family and everything she knew in the hopes of finding the true God. And God is now in the process of rewriting what her future is gonna be. And Naomi wanted her to know and accept what God had for her and not live always thinking about the hardship she went through. And we all experience hardship. Our past is the past. None of us can change it. Our future isn't written yet. I was watching a documentary on Back to the Future, one of my favorite movies. And you know, I'm, if there's a time travel thing, I'm doing it. But the last, the last line in the last film, the three, number three, was your future isn't written yet. It can be whatever you want it to be. That's the last line in the movie. And that's, God has our future already mapped out for us. It just depends on us following what God has. Our past is not gonna dictate what our future is, unless we let it. 
If we constantly live in the past and, and stay there, that's going to be your future. But if you're able to put that behind you and learn from it, the Bible, Paul says, look, I forget what's behind me. Whatever, good or bad, I forget it because I can't change it. So I'm going to focus on what the future is. And the future is what God has for you in the future. And Ruth, or Naomi wants Ruth to really get to the point where she's able to put in the past the past and start living for what God has for her in the future. I wrote here, we don't forget the past. We just don't live there. If Ruth wasn't willing to let go of the past, then she would not have experienced what God had in store for her for the future. Verse 18, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Whatever God has in store for your future, it's not going to get here any faster by worrying about it. Or it's not going to get here any faster by trying to help God out in getting it here. Every time someone in the Bible tried to help God out, it never worked out. God's timing is God's timing, and Ruth just had to wait. If it took a day, if it took a month, if it took a year, she had to wait for Boaz to work it out. And just like that, we have to wait for God to work things out sometimes. We may want an answer right now, and we probably do want an answer quicker than than normal. But a lot of times, at least for me, those answers don't come right away. Those are things you have to wait on God's timing to do. Ruth had to wait until God was doing what he was going to do through Boaz. But, just like Boaz, God is not going to rest until the matter is settled for us. We may think it takes forever, but we trust that God is working on it to get it done. When my kids and my grandkids come up and ask me to fix something, how many of you guys get that? Here, Pat, fix this for me. And they want you to fix it in like three seconds. And a lot of times it takes longer than three seconds to fix. Are you done yet, Pat? Are you done? Are you done? No, no. When I'm done, I'll give it to you. When I'm done, it'll be perfect. I'm working as fast as I can. When I'm done, I will give it to you. That's God. (laughs) Is it done yet, God? Is it done? God, is it here yet? I'm working on it. I will give it to you when I'm ready to give it to you. When it's ready, I will give it to you. Ruth had to wait until Boaz was done doing whatever he had to do. We have to wait until God's done doing what he has to do. But we have to know that God is working on the matter even as we pray. There's a lot of people on that list we've been praying for for a long time. And it's like, God, are you ever going to answer that prayer? And God's, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on those people. I'm preparing them. It may, you may not see it, but I'm working. The Bible says, we plant the seed, one waters, one grows, or God, one plants, one waters, God grows. God gives the increase. So all we can do is pray for them, plant the seed. The rest is up to God. That's why we pray, because the more we pray, there's power in prayer. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, means it works. So when we pray, it works. God, we know God's will is to save everyone. Not everyone will be saved, but that's God's will. 
So we pray that God's will be accomplished in their lives. And the timing, and I'm sure all of you are the same way, it's never fast enough. But we have to understand that God, just like Boaz, God's not resting until the matter is settled for them and for us. I'm gonna close with this verse, Hebrews 6, 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith, faith and patience inherit what has been promised. What do we need to grow with? Faith and patience. We imitate those who have those things. Why? Because when we do those, then we receive what God's promised. The Hebrews 11 talked about all the people that God recognized as being great people of God. A lot of people God delivered and God did great things through. And another set of people God didn't do any of that stuff. People died, they were tortured, they were cut in half. But God says they were all faithful. They were all faithful. And they didn't receive on this side what God promised. But they're receiving it on the other side. And that's what we're living for. We may not get what we want here, but you can be assured that we're gonna get what God promised us on the other side. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? We're gonna pray. You know, maybe this is your first time in our church. Maybe you've been here for many years. And I never want to take for granted that everyone who walks in the doors automatically knows who Christ is and has a relationship with him. So maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've been in church a lot. Or maybe you're not in church very much at all. but you don't, under, you don't really have the relationship with Christ. You know about him, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You may know about Christ, but you, know, you, you don't know him. You've never come to a point in your life where you look back and say, you know what, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner, and I know my sin keeps me from God. And I know that if I die in my sin, I'm not gonna go to heaven. But I also know that Jesus came to pay that price for me, to pay the debt that I had by his suffering and death on the cross. That took my penalty. And then when God raised him from the dead, that was God validating that everything Jesus did was in fact good enough to pay for my sin. But the Bible says the only way you receive that is by believing it. It's a gift from God. It's not the the amount of work that you do You can be the best person that you know. But the Bible says we don't get into heaven that way. It's not by works lest any man should boast. It's when you realize in your spirit and in your heart that only through Jesus can you have a relationship with the Father and that you trust what he did as your only payment for sin. The Bible says the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. 
I have a gift here and it's wrapped up and you look at it and you believe that gift is for you. Yep, you know it's there, it's there, your name's on it and you know it's for you. But if you leave it here and you don't walk out with it, that gift doesn't help you and you don't benefit from it. That's exactly what your relationship with Christ is. It's a gift. But you have to appropriate it. You have to come to Christ to receive it. If you're here this morning and you've never done that and you can't look back on a time in your life where you made that decision and you want to make it today, I want you to raise your hand. That's why you're here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like Ruth. You're, you're stepping out in faith for something that God's calling you to do or you're on the border, you're on the fence of what to do and you're not really sure because it sounds difficult. It sounds like you can't do it or maybe even sounds weird but you have that nudge in your spirit to step out. I'm going to pray that God gives you the courage to, to step out in faith. Maybe you're here and you're living in your past. You just can't shake what you've done in your previous life or what you're doing right now. The Bible says when you become a Christian, the old life is gone, the new has come. You're a new new creation in Christ. Jesus forgets your past. And the Bible says he chooses to forget your past. So your past is is of no consequence to him. And if it's of no consequence to God, then it should be of no consequence to us. Father, thank you. Lord, we are so thankful for your grace in our lives. You pour upon us things that we don't deserve and you take from us things that we do deserve that we don't get. And Lord, I pray for each person here today that you would fill them with your spirit as we talked at the beginning, today is Pentecost. Not only do I pray that you would fill people with your spirit as your Bible says, continue to be filled. I pray that you would baptize people in the Holy Spirit as well. That God, they would experience the power of God in a way that is tangible that their lives, they could notice a difference in their lives, not only being filled, but by, by being baptized as well. And Lord, I pray that when we leave this morning, we will be energized with the power of God and we will be able to live this life that you've called us to with ease because it's not us living it, but you're living it through us. I pray your blessings on those who are struggling with their past and things they've done, mistakes and sins they've made. Lord, you've already forgotten it. And I pray that they would realize that you're a new you're a new person, that you have wiped the slate clean, that none of that stuff in the past has any effect on your relationship right now, but that, God, you have a great beginning and a great future for them. Regardless of what their past is, you can do great things in their life. And I pray for those of, and everyone's gonna come across this, Father, that you, you challenge us to step out in faith. And when we do step out, we see a miracle happen. And I pray that you'd give each one of us the courage and the boldness to take that step of faith. And once we take that step, then we see you work. But it requires us taking the step first. So Lord, I just pray that you would energize each one of us. Continue to revive us, Lord, as we've been praying. Revive me, revive each one of us individually, and revive this church 
so that, Lord, we are not only ready for your return, that we are working to glean as many people into the kingdom of God as we can, that we will end well. Lord, we have no idea what's going to happen in the world. We know what your word says about that. We know how it's going to get worse before you return. But, Father, we want to be about your business. So, Lord, I pray that you would energize us and revive us and allow us that when that time comes, Lord, we will have done all that we can to honor you and further your kingdom. Now, Lord, bless us as we leave today. Continue to keep us in your care. Meet the needs upon our heart. While we focus on those who need Christ, there are, all of us have needs and burdens in our life. And I pray that as your word says, as your promises tell us, you're our provider, you're our healer, you're our deliverer, you're our shelter, and I could go on. So Lord, allow each one of us to experience each one of those promises in our life that we need right now. A tangible, tangible evidence that you're working in our behalf. So Lord, go before us, make every crooked way straight, and continue to use us for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. See you Wednesday as we continue to study about being a fan or a follower. We want to be followers.